How about another round of applause for our band, Mr. Barbecue and the Hunky Donkeys. Let's hear it for them. I don't know what that means. Brett came up with that one. You have to ask him. Hey, is that Jamie I see? Is Jamie back? Hey, it's Jamie. You better be careful, Jamie. You show up here too often. We're going to expect to see you on a regular basis, but uh, we do appreciate you serving with us this morning. And thank you all for being here today. This morning... We are starting a new message series. It's only two parts long. A two-part series that we are calling Get Real. Is that an expression anymore? Like, I grew up like back in the day, 80s, 90s. Get Real, man. Is that still an expression? We've got to bring that back. But this series is called Get Real, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about getting real. Two-part series. This week, we're going to talk about what it means to get real with God. And the next week, we're going to talk about what it means to get real with one another. Because here's the thing about us Christians. Some of us. In fact, maybe, maybe most of us, at some point in our walk with the Lord, at some point in our Christian journey, at some point in our journey with Jesus, we have felt that need to pretend something, to fake our way through something. It's a very common experience. Perhaps we all can relate to this. And if this doesn't make sense to you, maybe as time goes on, it will make more sense as we journey on through this. But we feel this way, like we should be something that we're not, and we fake our way, we pretend our way through Christianity. Now, I know there's that expression. Have you heard this before? Fake it till you make it. Do you know that expression? And there's a certain wisdom to that. You're not going to find It's not like a verse from the Bible. But there's a certain amount of wisdom to that, right? And certainly in the world of recovery, the fake it till you make it mentality. It's like, okay, I'm not actually recovered yet, but I'm going to act like I am until I am, right? Or when you're starting a new job, and they just expect you to know stuff, and you just smile and kind of nod your way through it. I'm going to fake it till I make it, right? Just smile my way through it until I figure it out which is the story of my life, right? That's, that's my book, Fake It Till You Make It, right? But I don't know if that should apply to our faith, to our beliefs about Jesus, to our journey with Jesus. And yet so often, for so many of us, we do feel this need to, to sort of pretend our way through Christianity. We feel like there are these expectations that maybe we put on ourselves or that other people put on us that we should be something that we're not yet. Be something that we're not yet. Maybe I can explain a little bit better what we're talking about. Let me tell you about my journey as a Christian. By the way, let me just tell you, I, I am a Christian, just so, just so you're aware of that. Um, I am a Christian. Um, my journey with Jesus, you know, some people, you, they have these very dramatic stories about how they became a Christian or about how they became a follower of Jesus or about how they got saved, if I can use that terminology. Um, some people have really dramatic stories, right? Have you heard the dramatic stories, the person who was living on the street and addicted to drugs and all this, and they met Jesus, and boom, their life was changed. Those stories are awesome. That's not my story. My story is much more boring than all that, right? And I think for a lot of us in this room, we are, you know, your story means something to you, but maybe it's not quite as exciting as you would like it to be. But guess what? That's okay. Your story is your story. So let me tell you my story. For the most part, I grew up in a Christian home, going to church. I think it was like three years old, and my parents started taking me to church. And so I had Christian parents and Christian grandparents and all these Christian influences in my life. And I was taken to Sunday school back in the day where they did the flanographs and the stories, the Bible stories. We were taught these Bible stories, and I was taught about Jesus, and I was told that Jesus is the Son of God. And I believed that because I was a kid and adults were telling it to me. So I believed it, right? That's how it works when you're a kid. So I believed that. And so I grew up going to church grew up learning about Jesus, but at a certain point, I was 11 years old, at a certain point I went to this thing, it was a Billy Graham crusade, you guys, you know who Billy Graham is? All right, so here's this guy. Billy Graham had this crusade at Veterans Stadium, okay? Do you remember Veterans Stadiums? The millennials in the room know what I'm talking about? All right, Veterans Stadium was a place, and like they did some sports stuff there. Anyway, so we had this big event there, and our church, I think they took a bus there, I'm not sure, they took a group of people to go see Billy Graham speak, and so Billy Graham gave this presentation, 
It was in 1992. I was 11 years old and um, gave this talk really explaining the gospel, what we call the gospel, talking about Jesus and what He accomplished on this earth and the fact that when we put our trust, our hope, our reliance in Jesus Christ, He saves us from our sins, and instead of damnation, we receive salvation. And so I had heard all these pieces to the story before, and I had probably accepted Christ before, like maybe a dozen times before that. I don't know. But there was something unique about this moment where what he had to say connected with me, and I understood it as, as, as well as a 12-year-old could understand it. And I wanted to go now at the end of this talk, and, and I'm sorry if you've heard this story before, but at the end of the talk, Billy Graham said, you can come on down to the field and meet with a counselor and say a prayer and accept Jesus as your Savior. And I said, well, I would like to do that. Um, I would like to accept Jesus as my Savior. I'd like to also go down on the field. It's probably my only chance to do this. And so it was like a two-for-one situation. Get saved. Get on the field, right? And so I wanted to do that. But let me tell you, I wanted to say yes to Jesus. And it's not because I was so in awe of Jesus that I just wanted to, to sacrifice my plans to Him. To sacrifice. I just wanted to serve Jesus. I just loved Him so much that I wanted to dedicate my life to doing His will and whatever that meant and wherever He wanted to lead me. I was, that's, no, that's not why. That's not why I wanted to, quote, get saved. The reason I wanted to say yes to Jesus is because I didn't want to go to hell and I did want to go to heaven. That's what I understood. That's what I heard. Say yes to Jesus, accept Him as Savior, and there's a transaction that takes place. You say this prayer, you say yes, you get salvation in return. I said, well, sign me up, whatever that means. I gotta put, is there like a contract? Yeah, that sounds great. I'll say yes to Jesus, and then I'll get saved. And so we go down to the field, and my dad took me down to the field, and we met with a counselor, and this guy who had a mustache, and he was explaining the gospel to me again. I'd already heard it. He prayed a prayer with me, and this dude starts crying. I mean, this full-grown adult man is crying as I'm saying this prayer, which even to this day makes me feel uncomfortable and awkward just thinking about it. Like, get it together, man. Come on. But it was a poignant moment. It was just a moment. But it was a poignant moment. And I, and I started to realize, did you ever experience this as a kid? Did you ever realize that something bigger than you can really understand is happening around you? So I had that moment. This is, this is bigger than I understand. And so I said yes. I confessed my sins. I accepted Christ as my Savior. Now what? Now what? Well, I guess I should start acting like a Christian, right? Acting like a Christian. So what do Christians do? When I was there, they gave me a copy of the Gospel of John. Well, Christians, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to read their Bible, right? And so I sat down, 11-year-old, 11-year-old, yeah, I was 11 years old, little 11-year-old me sat down trying to read the Gospel of John. And uh, have you ever read the Gospel of John? Here's how it starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Excuse me? Hang on a second. I'm 11. Can we back up a little bit here? And so I just kept reading. I read a few chapters into that, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, right? And so what do you do next? Okay, so this Bible thing isn't working out. What else are Christians supposed to do? These are the questions I'm asking internally. What are Christians supposed to do? I guess they're supposed to listen to Christian music, right? And so back in those days, my mom used to listen to Christian music on the radio, and it wasn't, this is like so old school, there wasn't an FM station. It was an AM station, right? Do you guys even know what AM radio is? AM radio is a thing. I think it was 990 AM radio. Is it, that, was that, was that it? Okay, 990, all right? And let me just say this about Christian music. We've come a long way, okay? We've come a long way. And so my mom would have the radio on. She'd be listening to this music. Like, well, I really don't like this music. What else should Christians do? And so that's basically these questions I was internalizing, and I didn't know how to articulate these questions. 
I didn't know who to ask these questions. Like, who should I ask about all these things? I just didn't know. And so you go to church because that's what you're supposed to do. And you try these different things. And you just, I found myself just acting my way through this. Let me just act how I think a Christian is supposed to act based on the limited information that I have. Is this just my story? Is this just me who went through this, right? And so I'm doing my best, and I'm doing the church thing, and I'm going to church, and it's like, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe with my friends, maybe I need to, like, watch my behavior. Maybe I need to watch my potty mouth when I'm hanging out with my buddies, you know, because, you know, little boys are when they get together, right? Maybe I should control this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, that's really tough to have discipline over my tongue and all that. Maybe at the very least, I'll feel bad. I'll feel bad about it. When I do something wrong, I'll feel bad about it because that's what Christians do, right? Okay. So at least there's that. And so I'm making my way, trying to figure out this Christian thing. And then um, at a certain point, I went to confirmation class. Uh, We were going to a Protestant church, but they had confirmation. Basically, you took a class the whole school year, and at the end of the school year, it got confirmed. Does that sound familiar? Anybody else do that kind of thing? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, We've got to start a support group or something. I don't know. So you go through the class, you go through the class, and at the end of the class, you get confirmed. That's how it's supposed to work. And so we're going to this class, and I'm there, and it's, man, it's so awkward because I'm sitting around a table with people I didn't know, kids approximately my own age that I'd never seen before. We didn't know each other. We didn't know what we were supposed to be doing. We're learning this stuff. And all I remember is that in this class, there was a girl and a boy. I don't even remember their names, but they were cousins. And it was that time, it's like that stage of being a kid where like girls outgrow the guys. So she was tall and he was little, but they were cousins, okay? And so here's what I remember. This is like the only memory I have of this confirmation class is that one day the teacher left, and the two cousins started fighting with each other. And the girl wasn't having it anymore. And she stood up and she laid into her cousin. She cursed him out right there in the church basement. And I'm thinking, what is happening? And I was terrified. I'm thinking, what if somebody walks in and they hear this? And I was scared. I was like, what are, what are we supposed to do now? It was also a realization that occurred to me at that point. It's like, oh this isn't real. Oh, we're all just faking our way through this. Oh, I'm not the only one who doesn't quite understand why I'm here and what this is about. That confirmation class ended, and and I chose not to get confirmed that year for, for a few reasons, but one of them is I just, I couldn't make sense of what this was supposed to be, what this was supposed to mean. I did get confirmed the next year anyway, but, but long story short, I didn't know. I didn't understand. What is this process supposed to be? Are we all just faking our way through this? Have you felt like that? Like you're supposed to be something that you're just not. I'm not that something yet. Maybe I will be one day, but I'm not that something yet. The trouble is this, and this is especially true for us who grew up in a Christian setting, who grew up in a church setting. You can just, you can get used to this pattern of faking your way through something. So that even when you become an adult, you're still holding on to this fake it till you make it mentality. I still haven't made it yet, so I'm still going to fake my way through Christianity. And you show up at the Christian stuff, and you show up at the youth group, or you show up at your small group, or you show up at worship on a Sunday morning, and you smile, and you know how to pretend, and you know how to be polite, and you know how to nod your head through the songs. You just get into the pattern of living out our entire Christianity without being real with God, without being real with one another. There are these expectations that we Christians put on ourselves. And so often, listen, maybe this, maybe this isn't you, but this is me. So often I feel like I'm supposed to respond in a certain way to events as they unfold. I'm supposed to have a certain reaction. I'm supposed to soar up with wings on an eagle. I mean, I read that in the Bible somewhere. I'm supposed to be above the things of this world. 
And when people make fun of me, I'm supposed to rise above. It doesn't bother, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. That thing doesn't bother me at all. I'm above. I'm rising above all this, right? Or when dark times happen, when I'm going through a rough patch, I'm supposed to just have faith and pray my way through it and say, well, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about this. I just feel this peace and comfort anyway. I just feel like I have these expectations that maybe, maybe I'm the only one putting them on myself. Like I'm supposed to respond to tragedy in a certain way. I'm supposed to respond to ridicule in a certain way. I'm supposed to be above all that. But I tell you what, recently, maybe this is a confession, I don't know. A couple months ago, I realized I feel like I'm just doing an impression of someone who's above it all. I don't feel above it. I don't feel above it at all. Who am I faking it for? Who am I, who am I pretending for? Am I pretending for God, for His sake? Are we pretending for God's sake to be something that we're not? Why would we do that? If God, if the God of the Bible really is God, and if all this, what this book has to say is true about Him, He already knows he knows what's going on in our heart of hearts. He knows. What's the point of pretending with God? What's the point of pretending to be above something that you're not above? What's the point of pretending that you have peace when you don't? What's the point of pretending? You may feel the need to pretend with other people, and I'm sorry if that's the case. I mean, I know how polite life works. You know, you go about, and you got to do your business, and you got to go shopping, you got to go to the grocery store. And even if you're carrying a weight on your heart when you're out in public, you got to smile. Hey, how you doing? You got to make your transaction at the cash register. How you doing? Great. How are you? Great. And then you get in your car and you cry, right? Isn't that how it works? I'm not the only person who cries in my car. Is it just me? Have a good car cry, right? You know what I mean? I understand how polite society works, but when it comes to God, here's what you need to know. Here's what we all need to know. We don't have to pretend with God. There, there's no point in pretending with God. We can be real with God. We should be real with God. It can be powerful. It can be healing. It can be cathartic to be real with God. Take a look, if you would, at Psalm 88. If you have your Bible with you, if you have a phone or a tablet or some way to look that up. And if you don't, I'm going to read it for you, so it's okay. Bob read for us the first two verses from Psalm 88, but I'll let you know right now, that's not what we're going to focus on. We're going to read this whole psalm. It's not that long. We're going to read this whole psalm together. I asked our scripture reader to read those two verses because those are like the most positive, uplifting verses of the whole psalm. It just gets dark. The rest of it is just dark. In fact, Psalm 88 is one of only two psalms that gets dark and stays dark. Where the psalmist, the writer, the one who's poor, I mean, these are all prayers, they're poems, they're songs, but they're all prayers, all communicating with God. I mean, those of us who are doing the chronological Bible reading, we've read most of the book of Psalms at this point, and we've read some tough stuff in the book of Psalms, and we've read like people like David just pouring their heart out and going through tough times. But most of these tough Psalms, most of these darker Psalms end with a positive note. I'm going through this tragedy, but I rest in you, Jesus, and I'm counting on, not Jesus, I'm resting on you, Lord, and I'm counting on you. God is my salvation. They, they have a positive, I know it's going to work out fine, God, right? But two Psalms don't end that way. Psalm 39 and Psalm 88. Let's take a look at those now. And, this, and the reason that we're doing this is because I want you to see, these are, these are prayers, okay? This whole book of Psalms is filled with prayers. Again, poems, songs, but they're prayers communicating with God. I want you to see how this guy who wrote this psalm is communicating with God. This guy's name, by the way, is He-Man. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but I like to say He-Man because it reminds me of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, right? All right, so as we read this psalm, for those of you who know who He-Man is, I want you to imagine He-Man with his crazy Dutch boy haircut, all right? This is He-Man writing this stuff, all right? 
Now I've ruined the psalm for you, I'm pretty sure. This is what he says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Great, wonderful start. Let's keep up with that, right? That's what, that's what a Christian's supposed to pray like. You are the God that saves me, and I put my trust in you, and I love you, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Amen, brothers and sisters. Am I right? Amen. Amen. Except it doesn't stay that way. The tone shifts. Lord, you are the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. I'm in a really dark place right now, God. And the author is not playing pretend. We don't know a lot about this guy. We don't know a lot about He-Man. We don't know exactly what he was going through. But... um. Pastor and author Tim Keller, he, he gave a wonderful sermon on this very psalm. In fact, if you want to look that up in your free time, it's called How to Deal with Dark Times. But, but in his message about this psalm, he spoke about the fact that there are really, there are basically two kinds of darkness or, or trouble that we can face in this world. There's the external and then there's the internal. And sometimes things can be falling apart, apart outside, but inside we still have that peace, strength, contentment. That can be the case. That is the case. That, that can, that's a real thing. But then there are other times where we feel that internal darkness and the external darkness, where we're struggling outside and we're struggling.